unrelenting storm. Let's uh, turn back uh, to Jonah chapter 1. We already read verses 1 through 17, but I'm going to pick it up with about where we left off last week in verse 9. This is where uh, Jonah finally spills the beans after they kind of wake him up out of a deep sleep, and he finally admits who he is, uh, why he's on the boat in the first place. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood. O Lord, uh, um, have done as, you, as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this midweek opportunity to meet, open your word, study your word, draw near to you, worship you, wait on you, hear from you, and to grow in you. And we pray, Lord, that you would just remove all the cares of the day, anything that would keep us from hearing from the very God of heaven we just read about. Lord, calm us, convict us, comfort us. Lord, speak in our presence, fill this place with your spirit, and me, Lord, with your spirit as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now we left off with God sending a storm. You know, we go back to uh, verse uh, 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So we, we talked about at length that God sent this storm. And God had sent a storm that had overwhelmed. I mean, you talk about, uh, we were talking last Wednesday out in the parking lot. A few of our guys were in the Navy, and uh, some of the guys in the Navy were like, you know, what's the what's the largest waves you've seen? And some had seen 60-foot swells. You, know, you don't think you're going to make it out of that. At least the Navy ships are way bigger than these ships, but an aircraft carrier. I know a guy that was in the Navy, the aircraft carrier, he said one of the waves ripped the top back on the aircraft carrier, you know, where they have the tarmac for the planes. That's how powerful the seas can be. But God had sent a storm that had overwhelmed the mariners that were headed to Tarshish. We talked about Tarshish and where that is. It's in modern-day Spain. It could be symbolic of really anything outside of the Straits of Gibraltar there, so anything that direction. But it was a city there in Spain where Jonah, he was going to retire to get away from what God had called him to do. All those sticky commands of God and the ministry responsibilities that were weighing heavily on him. But nobody is going anywhere, right? This ship isn't going anywhere. They're not getting to Tarshish. They might not even get another foot farther than where they're at. Unless it's to the bottom of the sea. That might be the one place they all could end up is the bottom of the sea. They know the ship is breaking up. The storm is looking like certain death unless something changes rapidly. And you have the title tonight, An Unrelenting Storm. This is an unrelenting storm. It's not slowing down. It's not calming down. It's getting worse. You ever had storms in your life that just keep getting worse? It started out blowing and then thought, well, this, this has to be the worst of it. Then comes another wave. Well, this has to be the worst of it. Then comes another wave. Well, this might be, and then another wave. Unrelenting. The first thing we want to take a look at is what I've titled the strength. Now, all storms have a certain amount of strength. This is it. We're talking about the storms here. There's the strength of God, 
which we looked at God sending the storm. But this we're talking about just the strength of storms. This particular storm, we know it was divinely sent. God can send a storm that can flood the whole world, we talked about, right? And he did, and he can. He could send isolated storms. This is a very isolated storm on the Sea of Mediterranean, on the Mediterranean Sea, but in a specific place. It was powerful beyond anything these sailors had ever experienced. They had never experienced anything like this. You ever experienced something that was new to you? That you, it was all, you'd never been through anything like this before. All storms, by definition, are strong. That's why we call them storms, right? A storm in and itself is strong. We were uh, looking up the skies last night, and you know, there's one of those clouds that just, one of those uh, cumulus clouds that goes way up, looks like 30,000 feet, and I'm like, it may not rain on us, but it's going to unleash on somebody. That strong storm's going to let loose. It's just a matter of where it's going to let loose. But at a minimum, we take notice of storms, right? We see them in the distance. We're like, all right, you know, umbrella needs to come down. That's the way I think. I like umbrella's got to come down the backyard, or it goes through the screened-in porch, right? You know, I've had that happen. Literally, I've had one go straight in. That you only need to learn that lesson once <laughs> before you take serious that it can pick something up and carry it. And even if you don't get hurt, you really don't like, all right, that's going to cost $100. I'm going to do this. I'm going to find time this weekend to do it. So, you know, whatever it is, you will notice storms when they're around. They're hard to miss, even if we're not in the storm. We can see a storm and just say, wow, you see it from a distance. Oh, it's coming down over there. As, and we, as we were watching the skies last night, uh, we were watching because we have a healthy respect for storm. We're talking about real meteorological storms here. But storms can quickly overshadow other things in life. When a, when a spiritual storm comes, but similar, we can see the same thing in nature. A storm can quickly overshadow excitement and enjoyment. Or whatever we were really focused on, all of a sudden a storm comes and changes everything. Like the Little League game canceled, right? Because all of a sudden... Uh, it just you ever had to just all of a sudden just dump in buckets and it was like you jumped into a pool and you only got like 10 feet from you to the car and you were exactly the same drench as if you had jumped into a pool. Um, I sent this picture out to some of the men um, around 4th of July uh, and it just kind of shows you in just in, in a photograph that uh, this was taken somewhere off the coast of California last summer. But in a moment, we're reminded how powerful storms are compared to what we can create. Just in a moment. Fireworks going off and God says, all right, y'all look like you're doing a pretty good job at this. Let me show you how this is done. <laughs> and so we, we have a moment there where we're just reminded. But we always um, have some response to storms. Some response. Uh, one of the responses is we're just glad they're not coming our way. Oh, let me go back there. We'll leave this for a second. We're just glad they're not coming our way. I'll make sure I go a different way to avoid them. Jonah thought this would work, didn't he? Well, I'll just go this way, and I don't have to experience the storm of my feelings or fighting what I don't want to do talking to the people of Nineveh. He didn't get that storm, but he got a different storm. So when you try and avoid storms, you may avoid one only to encounter another. And again, there are some that we can avoid and will avoid with obedience. Remember, Jonah wouldn't have been in this storm had he said, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'll do what you've asked me to do. Nevertheless, uh, he didn't, but it was a hard task he was given. We talked about, would you, you know, would you really relish going to Nineveh? I mean, your chances of coming out alive were, pre were pretty low. So you, you kind of understand, but it, never, uh, it doesn't matter what we think. We have to say, Lord, if you sent me there, that's where you want me to be. We, so we have these self-inflicted storms that uh, obviously uh, Jonah is in one right now. 
Storms uh, may take, when storms come our way, any storm, size, small, medium, large, storms may take a whole lot out of us. But unfortunately, some storms we've kind of learned we can row through. Remember some of the guys tried to row back, which was crazy. They're way out at sea now. I mean, uh, it's just like it, at least they had, they had to give it a try. But we've learned that some, some storms we can row through in our own strength. There's probably some storms you've made it through in your own strength, but you still hadn't been changed and what God wanted you to do. But you somehow, well, I'm just going to row it through in my own strength. And to do so is taxing, it's stressful, it's painful, but we'll oftentimes try and row it out rather than pray it out. We want to row it out, figure it out, outrun it, whatever you can come up with, rather than pray it out and really seek the Lord. But the Lord can always allow or increase the strength of a storm to bring us to the place where we have nowhere to look but up. God can do that. He's certainly doing it here. That's exactly what's happening. Everyone is looking to their gods, little case, lowercase g-o-d-s. Everyone's looking to their gods, crying out to their gods, although they've talked to Jonah and said, who, who is your God? And he says, I'm a Hebrew, and well, maybe your God can help. They've exhausted all of their own resources. You ever exhausted all your own resources? You tried everything, and then you say, maybe we should stop and pray. Maybe we should get other people to pray with us. Maybe we should... Uh, call people that love the Lord and say, will you pray with us? Exhausting all the resources reminds me of the woman in Luke chapter 8. She had an incurable medical issue for 12 years. 12 years. Never got better. Continued to be as bad or worse. She had been to every available doctor. Spent every cent and she was no better but she was determined to find Jesus. She heard, there's someone that really can solve this. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I quote this verse a lot. Storms really prove his point, don't they? Storms prove God's point, Jesus' point. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You find yourself in a storm you can't get out of, like Jonah and these mariners are in, and you realize, if God doesn't show up, it's over. Painfully, when God proves the point, it's painful, but it's effective, isn't it? Because now we're looking in the right direction. And if we're humble and obedient, these storms will be fruitful and purposeful in our life. Do you believe that? I mean, we, we can read the Bible and see that saint after saint after saint went through storms. We'll go through them as well. Dr. Charles Stanley uh, shared several years back eight biblical reasons God sends storms uh, that we simply can't ignore. I want to share them with you. I didn't come up with this list. I mean, I've seen the same list in the scriptures, but he did a good job of uh, encapsulating these eight, and I want to share them with you. Uh, eight reasons God sends storms our way. And again, we understand that Jonah, is, it's his fault that he's in this storm. But again, we've talked about the fact that in your life there'll be times when it is your fault and there's times when you had nothing to do with it. Nevertheless, once you find yourself in a storm, especially the fact that God has allowed it, what is it that God is trying to show us? What's he trying to show Jonah? What's he trying to show you or me? Number one, God will send storms to get our attention. Would you agree with that? The Lord speaks to us quietly in our hearts, but if we don't pay attention, if we're not paying attention... He will raise the volume or the strength of storms in our lives. He'll reprove us to protect us from destroying ourselves or other people with our disobedience. And if Jonah is, doesn't get to Nineveh, other people will die. Number two, he'll send storms to bring us to repentance. 
bring us to repentance. Here, uh, even Dr. Stanley references the book of Jonah on this one as well. Uh, But here God used a literal storm to draw Jonah to repentance. Although the Lord had told him to go to Nineveh and cry out against their wickedness, Jonah goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. But no one can avoid God since he's present everywhere. You can't avoid him. So he will bring us to repentance. He will use these things to cause us to come to our knees. Number three, to conform us to Christ's image. God is willing to break us and cause suffering in order to glorify himself, making us like his son. Um, You think Jesus went through some pretty heavy storms? I mean, just the final week of his life, I mean, before he raised from the dead. But that fi- what a storm, more than all we could comprehend. And because Jesus had to pass through that kind of storm, we will have storms we are following. He said, take up your cross and follow in the likeness of Christ. He is going to allow difficulty to come our way to conform us to the image of Christ. Number four to equip us for service. Now, this one makes a lot of sense to me. You guys now will cite things like uh, special forces. You cannot train people for difficulty unless you put them in difficulty. Right? You can't give people broad shoulder responsibility until they have had things laid on their shoulders. Amen? You do not want a rookie handling some of the things in life that you know are important, right? Having suffered through painful storms, we come out better equipped to help others. We have experience. We have know-how. We have, hey, I've been through that. God will be your rock. And it's not just you saying it because, well, how do you know that? I read it somewhere. No, you've personally experienced Jesus holding you when the ship you were in was feeling like it was breaking apart. To equip us for service. Number five, to demonstrate his power in our lives. God powerfully uses the situation to make us more useful than we were before. It's when you endure something that you experience the power of God. You ever endured something, you look back and say, there's no way I got through that without God. You ever been there? There's no way... That I, that I was even kind to people during that time, that I was even willing to help, or that, that I was willing to say, you know, let me hear about your problems, when you really didn't want to hear about their problems, right? But it was the power, that's, by the way, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, get out beyond yourself. Look at other people and say, you, they may need you more than you think you need them. The Holy Spirit does that. But that's the power of God in our life that says, No, 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 right now, you can put one foot in front of the other. You can take care of the, the, you know, it's just the same thing as, uh, you know, you are drained with energy, but your child is sick. Say, Lord, I need strength, right? God will give us that power. Number six, to reveal himself to us. Uh, Dr. Stanley says, turbulent times give us a new perspective on the Lord and how he works. Sometimes this comes after the storm when we look back and see how he brought us through it. And that's, that's for sure. Twenty twenty or Hindsight is uh, certainly good vision. Uh, then we understand that his strength was sufficient for us and that the purpose was good. It doesn't feel good in the present tense in the middle of storms. But he reveals himself to us. I, I, I found that uh, you know since I went full-time, in 2012, I've gone through many different storms, some that I've shared, some that you know, maybe I'll never share. My wife and I might know, or you know, you've gone through storms you haven't shared, some you've shared, some you haven't shared. But I'll say this, uh, when you go through things that you know you're leaning only on the everlasting arms of Jesus, and you go through difficulty, and you will find that God speaks to you in ways that he's never spoken to you before. I mean, not, not some audible voice like the televangelists are talking about or something, but I'm talking about 
a verse will lift off the page and speak you, a verse you've read a hundred times. It'll speak to you in a way you say, why did I never see that angle? And it's not some new revelation. It's just, and then you'll, then you'll, then you'll open up a Bible commentary you never saw before, and someone that wrote it like 200 years ago will say what you just read. You're like, there, this has happened before. It has seemed it this way. But God will reveal himself in just a way that you need to stand firm. Because Jesus said to what? Build on the rock. He's your strength. But he'll reveal himself. He'll reveal that he's never really left you, never forsaken you. Number seven, to demonstrate his love. Um, <laughs> we, we don't think storms are a great demonstration of love, do we? But you know that if you really want to get, we, we were singing about purity in one of the songs. Pure, I, I think the word purity was in one of the songs. And, and uh, you know that to purify precious metals, they have to go under a lot of heat. And all those impurities have to bubble up. One of the ways in God's love, he's like, you've got impurities, that the only way they're going to come out is for me to put you in a place that you become more reliant on me, and then you humble yourself more. And as you humble yourself more, you see, oh, I didn't even see that, Lord. That needs to, you know, come out of me. You might, have, you might find in storms you have a more complaining spirit than you thought you had. That you are not quite the content person you thought you were. That you're not quite the patient person that you thought you were. That you're not quite as loving as you thought you were, or I thought I was. I mean, uh, all of us can relate to this, but in his love for us, he says, I'm going to shape you and put my arms around you and use this storm to wrap you close, but you're going to hear more from me and you're going to see that it's my love that is changing you, that is transforming you. And we'll realize that uh, Dr. Stanley writes that any storm he brings in, is motivated by his love. You'll even start to, you'll, this, you'll, this is a work of faith. We'll talk about this Sunday in Hebrews chapter 4. You will be able to, by faith, pray, Lord, I love these storms because they're making me more like you. And when you say that, you actually start to experience more of the love of God. Just saying truth back to the Lord, God is well pleased. It's like a sweet aroma to him. Finally, number eight, to remind us who is in control, as if we didn't already know. But again, we can know it intellectually, but not know it in a faith walk. True? Oh, yeah, God's in control of everything. Now let me go do what I want. Right? God's like, no, 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 no. If I'm really in control, if I'm really in control, then you're going to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? When would you have me to do this? I had, uh, just today, in our own home, you know, we, you have families, you have decisions to make. And I had a decision to make, and I, one I've been thinking about for a couple weeks, Lord, don't give me an answer on this, I got an answer in it. And it wasn't the answer that I wanted, but it was kind of the answer I knew I was going to get. And then I conveyed it to others in the family. This is the, this is the answer God gave me. And I said, you know. But I remind my family, God is in control of my life. And the decisions we make and what we do and what we'll not do, and this is the things that God wants us to do, and this is a priority, and because why? He's in control. Is he in control of your life? Storms will uh, kind of um, have you reset your nautical map to the direction of God, won't they? Oh, yeah, Lord. If I want to get out of this storm, I better set it in the direction. Remember, I, I told you that, that passage in Deuteronomy, it's really spoken to me lately where God said to Moses, you skirted this. Uh, if, you didn't hear, if you weren't here for Sunday's message, I believe you should listen to it. I believe it's one of the most important messages I've preached this year by far because I believe that our whole church needs to uh, just really, really commit to the three things that we talked about. But uh, God had said to Moses, you've skirted this mountain long enough. Head northward. Don't you like when God gives you that kind of direction? When you get the exact direction from God, 
One of the things that we're all looking for is people ask this question over and over again over the centuries. I just want to know the will of God. Now, once God shares it with you, what will you do? Jonah knew the will of God. Go to Nineveh. Well, that's really not the answer I wanted. Right? So if God reminds us who's in control, and then you say, all right, Lord, I'm yielding to your control. I believe your word, as we talked about on Sunday, the confidence. Lord, I'm going to consecrate to your will, and I'm going to concentrate on your kingdom's work. When you do that, and you say, all right, Lord, now what would you have me do? And you study, and you get up, and you open the word, and God tells you something. Maybe he says, I want you to fast tomorrow. You're like, oh, that was not what I was hoping for. Right? But you know, now you have direction. God told you. You asked. Now you know. And so then, all right, Lord, because of his knowledge, because it's complete, God never makes a mistake. Nothing in our lives will ever happen without his permissive will. His good purposes, his mighty power, his unfailing love always governs the storms that come our way, Dr. Stanley. But that is, again, again, God giving us the direction, reminding us who's in control. Um, we see that the storms that God allows, they have a certain amount of strength, and they will get our attention. Would you not agree? The storms will get our attention, whether we want them to get our attention or not. But let's take a look at the last thing tonight that we'll uh, examine together, verses 10 through 17. Uh, we see what takes place. The men were exceedingly afraid. Why have you done this? For the men knew he had fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, these are unbelieving men. They have their little gods. They follow false gods. And yet, in this moment, they are convinced, dude, what? Why would you go against the living God? It's interesting that you work with unsaved people that don't follow your God, but actually will come to you and say, will you pray for me? What are we? I thought that everything I was doing was worthless, and now you're asking me to pray for you because you're in a crisis. See, the world really knows who the real God is. They really do. It's something else, verse 10, that unsaved sailors are giving a mini-message and a rebuke to Jonah. They're preaching a little message to him. Dear Jonah, you should not violate the commands of your God. I haven't told this story in a while, but a lot of you are new, and I tell about every two years, maybe every three years, but it was a, it was a permanent, it left a permanent mark in me to, to know two things. One, the world is always watching you. And two, they actually know what a real believer looks like whether they say it or not, they, they, they can tell. Uh, and then three, if you aren't living according to God, uh, then God can actually use anything and anybody to speak to you, whether it's someone who might cuss like a sailor, like these mariners speaking to Jonah. He's being rebuked by them. God will use a donkey in the Bible. We've seen this. So uh, I had only been saved. I, I, I don't think I've told it in a couple of years, but I'd only been saved... Uh, maybe a year. Uh, but when I got saved, when Sarah and I got saved, I mean, I just was, I was 180. I started witnessing to my friends, just doing just everything different. I, I, my life was completely turned upside down in a good way. I started studying at college. I never studied before. I mean, all, all kinds of things started to change. I started making better grades. I uh, just gave up drinking and partying, all that stuff. I mean, no one had to tell me to stop cursing. I just, all of these things. The Lord just said, I started to read the Bible, highlighting things. And um, so I was, I'd, I'd share the gospel with all the guys. I was working at a health and fitness club at the time, and uh, I'd share the gospel with all the guys that I worked with. And we had a whole team of, we had one guy who was mixed martial arts guy. We had another guy who was a ladies' man. We had another guy uh, who could outlift everybody. Everybody had their kind of role. Every, it was like, like se seven of us, and everybody had a certain look and a certain thing they were known for. Uh, the guy who was a ladies' man was a Jewish guy by the name of Andy in South Florida. And good-looking guy, all the ladies liked him, uh, and he knew it. And so <laughs> he, uh, he comes in, one, I'd witnessed him, to him about fornication. <laughs> I was straight on with this. You know, I was like, this is, a, this, this is what you need to know. And so uh, 
because he didn't go to church, and he grew up uh, Jewish at a synagogue, and he didn't know much about, I mean, he knew a little bit about Jesus, but, but I told him, I'm like, I was like, even if you don't know about Jesus, let me show you in the Old Testament. You know, so I would show him what these things meant. And so uh, one night he was, this is back before we had text and smartphone stuff. When, and when you talked to someone on the phone, you had a cord, and you'd go around the room, and you'd lay down on the ground, and you'd talk, and then you'd move to another part of the room and lay in another spot, and then you'd just kind of go all around the room until you were done with a two-hour conversation. And he was up till, uh, we were in our early 20s, and he was up till like 2 in the morning on the phone with this girl that he had been dating. He had met her at a bar, and I don't know why they weren't out together that night, but it was a Saturday night. And it got to be like 2 a.m., and she finally says, look, i got to go to bed. And he says, why? He goes, she's like, i got to go to church tomorrow. And he goes, why, why are you doing that? And she goes, because I'm a Christian. He goes, hold on just a second. Oh, no. He says this to her on the phone. He goes, I know a Christian, and you are not a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it was, he came and told me, like, he was really proud that he, he like, I, I told her off, man. I mean, like, it was almost like he was part born again because he told her off. Even though he had no intention of repenting himself, but he let her know, no, 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 no. You, I know a Christian. You're not one. And she's like, how dare you tell me I'm not a Christian? You're not a Christian, so how can you tell me I'm not a Christian? He goes, because I work with a Christian. You're not a Christian. They broke up after that. And uh, I, I told you know, if you really wanted to keep her, you might not have wanted to do that. Unless you want to come over on my side and become born again. Then, But he still didn't at that time. Maybe today he's saved, and I hope that he is somewhere. But it was funny, but... Uh, she got preached to by an unbeliever, just like Jonah here. And non-believer told her. Now, she was saved. God used that. I don't think they had really kind of truly, they'd only started seeing each other like earlier in the week. And I think, I think it might have been God's way of preventing her from going down a path she shouldn't go down. But God used it either to turn her around and cause her to repent. But again, the world is watching your life. And they know where you're really at. And if you're living in violation, don't be surprised at some point that works. I thought you were a Christian. Why are you doing this or saying this or talking this way? But here's the thing that God is doing. Back to our text, verse 10 and 11. Uh, then they said, what shall we do for the, sea, for the sea to be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Um, we know that they were very afraid, verse 10, exceedingly afraid. Everyone is being brought low. Every knee is bowing here. God says, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The sailors are near death. Their gods are of no help. Jonah is ashamed, and now he's been rebuked. The sea is foaming up even more. It's not, uh, it, it tells us that it's getting more tempestuous, more rough. If the waves were 40 feet, now they're 45 and we talked about, if you were here last Wednesday, I believe Jonah, when he, by the time he's woken up, they thought they had minutes left to live. When I say minutes, could be 60 minutes, could be 45 minutes. Does it really matter? Uh, you're, you're talking about just not a whole lot of time here for somebody to make a decision that will stop this if there is a decision that can stop this. They don't know. These, these guys don't. Uh, the only one that will know is Jonah. And so... It ends up being a valley of decision for everybody, or it will be shortly here. Uh, at this point, at some level, God speaks to his prophet. There's no audible trail here, but when they ask Jonah, what shall we do? Verse 12, and he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I believe that this was divine wisdom from God that Jonah knew. I mean, because I don't know that I would have thought of this. If I, unless God said, I don't think I would even want to think of this. I would say, if I'm going down, we're all going down. You know, that would be kind of my thinking. But I believe that the Spirit of God, because he's still, you know, if you belong to God, even when you're in the wrong place, God can speak to you. Say, all right, you shouldn't be here anyway, but I'm going to speak to you right now. Here's what you must do. And I believe the Spirit of God spoke to Jonah, and Jonah hears the Spirit of God say, You've got to get tossed in the water. Okay. Sounds like a blast. 60-foot <laughs> waves or whatever is going on out there. But that's what he tells them. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. And I believe, that, again, because he's a prophet, I believe the Spirit told him, and when you do this, everything's going to get calm. 
because prophets, if, I don't know if you know this, if prophets give one prophecy that's not true, then they are proven to be a false prophet. So this came from God because Jonah couldn't say, if you throw me in, it'll be calm, and then they throw him in, it doesn't end up calm. I believe the Spirit of God told him, here's what's going to happen. Here's the only escape route for everybody. You've got to get tossed in. And whenever you and I are in a storm, self-inflicted or some kind of trial or attack, we have to ask the question, so the Spirit of God speaks to us, we open the door, Lord, how do you want me to respond here? What is it you want me to do? He's not going to ask you to throw yourself in front of traffic so everything can stop. and everything. But he is going to give you and I a word when we are, if we've been out of the will of God, if we've been disobedient, if, if it's not either of those, we're just truly wondering, Lord, I don't know what to do at this fork in the road. It's a difficult time in our life, and this is happening, and I don't understand. I don't have an answer. Lord, what do you want me to do? What does your word tell me? But you have to say, Lord, as we looked at Dr. Stanley's list, I surrender my will. Amen? Lord, I surrender my will. Because if you're not going to surrender your will, then all of those things, all those reasons are for naught. Jonah knows what must be done. The storm is due to his disobedience. It's not even the sailors. Uh, it's not them specifically that God is stirred this up for. He decides, Jonah decides, no more running. And you and I have to decide at some point in our life, no more running from God. No more running from God. No more trying to find some other route and say, Lord, I'm going to accept your route. Whatever God desires to do, it's in his hands. And your life, you may not be a prophet or a pastor or an evangelist, but your life, believe it or not, whether you know it or not, your life lived correctly will influence someone to come to Jesus. Your life lived incorrectly will cause someone to say, well, I'm not sure I need God after all because I've worked with so-and-so Christian or so-and-so Christian in my family and I see their life. And you know how many people use other people as their excuse? I don't want other people. I don't want to be someone else's excuse. Do you? The souls of men are at stake. Jonah's willing to be thrown in the water now. When, if this means he dies, and the seas are calm, he could have just died in Nineveh, and a bunch of people get saved. But here's the great thing: God's going to do all of it. Still, isn't that great to know? Still going to take care of the sailors, still going to take care of Nineveh, and still going to take care of Jonah. Isn't the grace of God great? That when we've messed up in multiple areas, he still says, if you will turn to me. Did you know that this book, this book of Jonah, is what's read? Uh, it, it, the Jewish, uh, when they in the synagogues, they come together to remember the Day of Atonement. This is the book that's read. Some of you might know this, but some of you, that may be news to you. The book of Jonah, this little book, why? Because it's a picture of the grace of God and repentance. And all surrender requires a certain level of, Lord, have mercy upon me, right? And so Jonah says, Lord, if that's what it takes, I'm willing. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life must lose it for my namesake. Now, the sailors, verse 13, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to land. They don't want to, th they know you, nobody's swimming back to shore in this. I don't know how far out they are, but they're a long ways out. And they know it's certain death for uh, Jonah. They're deeply convicted. They want to save his life. They, they want to do whatever it takes to keep him alive because they're a little afraid now that his God will kill them. They want to find mercy from Jonah's God. When you and I surrender our will, there's a much better chance those around you will be influenced to surrender their will. And in my house, I, I have to start with, I have three daughters and a wife. That's, that's, the, that's the first church that I pastor is right there in the home. And if my will isn't surrendered there, I can't have any influence there, then it doesn't make much difference how much influence I have here. Although I want to have the right influence in both places, a godly influence in both places. But when we surrender 
our will, there's a much better chance those around us are going to see the will of God as good, as gracious. We have to die to ourselves, and the world will notice. They're, they notice that Jonah is now, yes, he was asleep, yes, he was, but he said, for your sake, toss me in the water. Do people see your life as selfless or selfish? I mean, it, it, Jonah shouldn't have been there, but at least he's doing the right thing now. Aren't you glad that you can make a change today, even if you should have made a change two days ago, 10 days ago, 90 days ago? Amen? If you're still alive, you have the opportunity to do the right thing today. And sometimes the world does more than just notice. Um, you know, like I said, my, my buddy Andy, he, he noticed my faith, but he didn't embrace it yet. He just used it as a club on some other non-believer to say, you know. <laughs> but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite used in the best manner, but uh, he did notice. But oftentimes, thankfully, you and I are on testimony, uh, we got to the place where we didn't just notice someone else's faith, we followed it. And Jonah surrenders in faith and obedience. The Spirit says you need to be thrown in. Jonah's like, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do it. And then... Jonah says what's going to happen, and they finally reach the point where they're minutes away from the ship breaking in pieces, and they finally say, okay, we'll toss you in. Your God's okay with this, right? Then one last discussion. Are you sure your God's okay with it? I'm sure you guys are going to be fine. You throw me in. That was a bit of an act of faith on their part, too, because if they thought that his God would be angry with them, they might have been better off just keeping him in the boat, but they, there was a little bit of an act of faith on their part to say, all right, we kind of believe that you really are a prophet and that what you're saying is going to work. So they toss him in, and they cried out in verse 14, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. Uh, o Lord, have, have it done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea. Verse 16, the sea ceased from its raging. Exactly what Jonah said. He proves to be a true prophet, and God proves to, proves to be the true and living God because all of a sudden... The seas are still exactly the way Jesus did it when he said, peace, be still. Pfft. Seas are still. And they see through Jonah's surrender here and his surrender, which uh, tells them that clearly this is the hand of God. And we have to ask ourselves, are we helping or hindering people with our witness? Are we helping or hindering people? Do they see surrender? Do, do people see surrender in your life to Jesus? Or do they see kind of a resistance to Jesus? But you have a Christian bumper sticker. But everything else is kind of resistant. You don't do this, you don't do that. You know, I, I, well, do, do, you, do you ever share your faith? Not I'll ever share my faith, but, uh, but I am saved. I've been saved for 43 years. And, uh, you know, all of these different things. But those are a hindrance if we're not living it out. Our own surrender might be just what's needed for someone else who we're hoping would come to Jesus to finally come to Jesus. <laughs> Matter of fact, we could be the roadblock of someone coming to the Lord. The sad commentary. We'll look at uh, Jonah's next destination. It says, so they throw him in. Then, verse 16, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. It, at this point, Jonah's willingness to finally yield, they get saved. Isn't that great? The more you and I yield, the more people will get saved. The more we yield, the more people will come to Christ. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit flows through vessels that are yielded to the Lord. If the 11, then when Paul comes in, you get 12 disciples again, but if the 11 go out unyielded to the Lord, there is no gospel going to the four corners of the earth, right? At least not with them. God would have to raise up another group of men. But because they were yielded, because they were yielded, then yes, the gospel went to the uttermost. And these men get saved. What a beautiful picture uh, of grace. Uh, God, even used, God even used Jonah's disobedience to bring these guys to the Lord. And that's a great thing. When, we, when we've messed up, I was talking to someone this last week or something, um, 
you know, when we've messed up, even if you go to an unsaved person and say, man, I really blew it yesterday. What are you talking about? I, I got really upset with you and said this or said that. Now, hopefully you didn't, like, obliterate your testimony, but I'm talking about, you know, you, <laughs> you, you said something that was over the line, that was just, you had a bad attitude, didn't reflect the gentleness of Christ, and you apologize. And they'll go, I didn't think anything of it. And they did think something of it. But they'll say, I didn't even think anything of that. But they know that they would not apologize for something like that. And you do, then you have opened a pathway for grace. Now, obviously, God's grace can move whether you open a pathway or not. But we want to be a conduit for the grace, not a hindrance to the grace. And so Jonah is thrown in, and, and they come to know the Lord, and, and they see that Jonah's God is the true and living God, and the seas indeed cease from their raging. They offered vows. They commit their lives to Christ. Is your life a vow of a commitment to Christ, or is it just kind of casual? Well, I just kind of, my Christianity is about kind of what I feel like. That's the American kind of very lukewarm style. These guys don't do that. They said, we're going to offer our vows and go all in for the Lord. Now, verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're not going to focus on the last verse. It's just the transition here is taking place. We move from ship to center of fish, right? We went from land to ship to inside belly of fish. And so these are the different scenes. We'll get back to land again, but you've got these different uh, scene one. If you were doing this like a play, here we're on land. Now we're on the boat. Now we're inside the fish. And then we'll back to land again. We'll get to the destination in chapter two. But this one last picture, it again points, remember Jesus said, as Jonah was in the fish for three days, so must the son of man uh, also be in the earth or in the grave for three days. And so it's a picture of the future uh, of Jesus being willing to die, not being thrown off a ship, but be willing to get on a cross, which is way worse than being thrown off a ship. Willingly. Jonah does it. We see a picture. Finally, Jonah is willing to die, and Jesus doesn't finally become willing to die. He came as a baby willing to die. Again, he's his... Jonah and Jesus, both from Galilee, Jesus is the far greater ministry than Jonah. Jonah sent to Nineveh, Jesus is sent to the whole world. And so uh, we'll kind of finish with, again, that when you look at this, it's, it's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to one that when he saves, he saves both Jew and Gentile. And he takes all of our mistakes and he can turn it all for his own glory and his own good. That's the ministry of Jesus. And so this one last picture here, it points. And then you have this. When Jonah's thrown into the seas, all of its raging does what? Stops. The Bible says that laid upon Jesus was the wrath of God. And the wrath of God was satisfied. In other words, the seas of God's wrath stopped raging when Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life. And so we see a picture of as Jesus goes into the grave, the wrath of God is satisfied. Jesus never has to go on a cross ever again. Jonah's only thrown in the water once. Jesus only goes in the grave once. So we have this picture aren't, uh, that the wrath of God is satisfied, and, and then others can live because Jesus was willing to go through this. Aren't you glad Jesus went through the storm of suffering and death, and took our punishment to calm what would be our everlasting judgment, to calm it, to satisfy the wrath of God that we deserve. And now, to kind of bring it back to where we live today, and now he will take you and I through any storm, even the ones we brought on ourselves, if we submit and surrender to him. Do you believe that? That even if it's a storm, we brought ourselves and said, Lord, I'm sorry for bringing this storm in my life. And then the other ones you didn't bring, but he will still take us through them if we surrender our will to him. C.S. Lewis said, God, who foresaw your tribulation, has specially armed you to go through it, not without pain, but without stain. Not without pain. You're going to have some pain in the storm, but it won't permanently stain you it will conform you to Jesus. 
and in his timing and with his divine results in us, uh, he will say, peace be still. In his timing, I believe that God, in this church, I believe God is going to bring many of us in this room, and some that aren't in this room can't be here, many of us through storms that you are going to praise him like you've never done before when you come through. And you will come through. You absolutely will come through, just like Jonah. If he can get through that one, you can get through this one if you cling to him. Moses said to the children of Israel, he goes, not a one of you been lost because you cling to the Lord. He goes, not one have you been lost because you cling to the Lord. Now, the good news is when you cling to Jesus, he's clinging to you more than you're clinging to him. But our role, as we talked about, we have a role to play, and that's to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit. I'm going to obey. And when we do, God will bring us through, and we'll see more of this in chapter 2. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the blessing of your grace and your mercy. And even, Lord, if we've brought things on ourselves, we stop and say we're sorry and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, you're, you're willing to speak to us and give us the right answer and the right direction. And, Lord, we know that as we yield, not only will we see your peace poured out in our lives, but, Lord, it'll have an influence of perhaps even salvation for people around us that are looking for peace and they need to see us brought through some things to believe that you are the God that we tell them about or the God that we profess you to be. Now, you are whether we profess it or not, but, Lord, we want our lives to exhibit your grace and your deliverance. And we pray, Lord, I just pray even in this room, if there's storms that my brothers and sisters are going through, that they would just hold on tight to you, not deviate. But, Lord, allow even the eight things that we discussed. Lord, what is it you're trying to show me? Is it to get my attention? Is it to remind me of how much you love me? Whatever it is, Lord, just to know that you're in control, to tune our ears to hear your voice. And I pray that, uh, Lord, we'd hear you through the storms and you'd take us out of them in your timing and in your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.